Good morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumpter. Hi, Stacey. How are you? Good morning, John. I'm I'm doing well. Um, like everyone else, in a, in a bit of a, you know, um, hard to sort of describe emotional state these days, but um, the sun is shining. It is 90 plus degrees in North Carolina here, so if anybody's looking for some some warm weather, we've got it finally. Um, and, you know, we are, you know, tackling, you know, difficult conversations, uh, both inside my home and, and uh, throughout the, the space in HR and technology. So it's a good day. It's a good day to have a conversation. And how about you? How are you doing in California? Well, it's, you know, you know, we're nearing 90 days of um, confinement and, um, it's it's getting a little stale, but but I am quite concerned. They're going to start opening everything up here at the end of the week, um, and and my guess is that between the protests and the um, unnecessarily early opening of things, we're going to see a big second wave sometime in late July, probably. So 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 I am. Um, Frustrated, confused, concerned. It's 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 nice. It's kind of a rich cauldron of emotion, um, um, and it's a crazy time. Yeah, crazy time. And I, you know that that comment about a rich cauldron of emotions. It's it's probably been one of the things that's been pointed out to me most this week is that the level of anxiety that that has ramped up from what was already a high level of anxiety a few weeks before, but for friends of mine and, and people that I care about now and for our society and our country as a whole um, is something that I'm having a hard time coping with, but friends of mine cope with it on a daily basis. And so I think this, like you said, it is truly, there's no other way to explain it other than a cauldron of emotions. You're sort of, we noted it last week, sort of flown back and forth between trying to focus on what you've got to get done for your job, trying to make sure things get moving forward, feeling emotionally, you know, um, empathy for, for those who you can't help but who need help right now, and then, you know, trying to, to sort of tamp down anger that, that's, you know, coming forward about things that are happening that, that you can't change, right? So it is – a cauldron is a good way to describe it, I would say, yeah. Yeah, and, and what what a crazy time to try to operate a company. You know, the 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 on the record number of people who file for unemployment, I believe this week is at forty two million. Um, and regardless, I, I don't understand how how this how the unemployment statistics work, but regardless of what the unemployment statistics say, that's over twenty five percent of the workforce has filed for unemployment. And and what what's crazy making to me is we talked last week about about the salary.com uh, survey of um of hiring managers and um 90% of the hiring managers thought that people would be coming back to their jobs. And and the Washington Post reported at about the same time that 77% of people who have been laid off think they're going back to their jobs. Yeah. 
And nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> well, and I think the data, I mean, I, the data even has to think a, a more uh, distinct picture on this, right? Um, again, you know, percentages aside, um, you know, the, the number of, of those who hold bachelor's degrees, right, um, their unemployment rate jumped from 2.5% to 17.3%, which is high, right? Um, where, oh, I'm sorry, their jumped in March from to 8.4% in April, which is less than half of the 17.3%, my apologies, I misread that, of unemployment rate of those with just a high school diploma. And so what we're seeing is, is also that this is not just unemployment across the board. We talked a little bit about this. There was different by state. There was different by region. This is very different by your education level as well, right, um, in a way that, I, that we've seen in the past but never quite this stark. Right. So, so it's unemployment. I'll say that in a harsher way. It's unemployment by social class, uh, because the the it's we haven't been able to talk about this well in our country. But the 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 attainment of a college degree takes you out of the lower class. It guarantees better employment and longer term and more stable employment. And right now, the bottom of the pyramid, and it's a pyramid scheme, the bottom of the pyramid has been laid off. <laughs> and and, and the, the impact is disproportional on the lower class. And there is a lower class. And there is a, a barrier. One of the ways we talk about it often is the difference between hourly, hourly and salaried employees. There's a generally a class difference there. And, and so this, this falls heavily on the hourly employee. Um, it falls even more heavily on the people who make less than $40,000 a year. Yeah, I mean, one of, one of the things I think you were noting was that school districts were laying off, I think, 6% of their workforce, right? And you were saying that was seemed... Like how how are they making decisions the last six percent? You know the, the the number of children haven't changed, but if you have kids working from home, then you end up with the support staff, which is generally the hourly workforce in a school environment that is no longer needed to support you know, home you know the the homeroom classroom the you know staff that comes with the two or three students who need special attention the you know staff who and cleaning the hallways, all that stuff, right? Um, those are the ones who definitely are, are being let go in current education environments um, because they're the ones generally without the college degrees, right? Right. Right. So, so the question is going to be, how do we get these people back to work? Right. Um, and that's good, you know, you look beyond all of the protests and all of the unhappiness, and if we're going to if we're going to continue and succeed as a culture, we have to figure out how we're going to get these people back to work. And if you look at the you look at the fundamentals, right? No restaurant is ever going to hire the same staff that it had before. 
the new kind of indoor seating will become the norm. And um, um, it, it would, would be a mistake to go back to the to hiring at the same level. So we've got displaced restaurant workers and we've got displaced hospitality workers because while hotels will figure out how to solve the problem, people aren't going to go to hotels for a very long time. And and the the 25 or 30 percent of the economy who are unemployed aren't buying plane tickets and hotel reservations and restaurant meals. They're trying to figure out how to how to get food inexpensively in their houses and contain expenses for the most part. And so it's going to be it's going to be challenging to restart the economic engine. And, and I think, you know, it, it, the, the economic conversation is hand in hand right now with what we're seeing on the social front. And, and I think you're right in that there's a, there's a desire to, to get the economy started, but there's also a desire to get it started in the right way. I, I, I don't know how better to say that. And I'm, I'm definitely probably not using the right language, but but I think the collective feeling, at least you're feeling from, from those who are voicing their opinions right now, is change is needed because a lot of what we saw as normal, a lot of what we saw as, as um, how things were done previously, were masking some very big problems in our culture here in the United States. And it's just um, heightened by what's going on with the pandemic and the unemployment rates as well, correct? Right, right. So you've got these, you've got these multiple issues that have to do with with our treatment of the class system. You know, the the police. I'm an older white dude, right? And so, and so, unless unless I am completely obnoxious, the treatment that I get from police is different than the treatment that other people get from police. It's right, um, and um, and that's a problem. I shouldn't get different treatment. I shouldn't get different treatment, and to the, and and. To the extent that I'm treated differently, everybody else gets gets a different, harsher reality than the one that I'm exposed to because I've got a stack of privilege. Um, and so that's a that's a piece of what's going on right now, but it's a it's a a symbol of something that's much deeper than that. Um, and and that is that is in our culture. The value of a life varies with skin tone and um, uh, social class. And when I say the value of the life, I mean access to opportunity, access to equal treatment by the law and law enforcement. And um, we've pretended for a long time that that you could solve that problem by meeting diversity statistics. And while it's important to meet diversity statistics, it doesn't get at the problem. 
It doesn't get at the problem, but it also, I think, does, doesn't does open up the conversations the way they need to be held either. I mean, we, in in the HR's role, are often seen as the torchbearer, I guess is a good way to put it, right, for the experience our employees have inside their organizations, for the um, the approach we take as an organization to diversity and inclusion, right? Um and I think oftentimes there is the the justification that oh, we have a program or we have someone who's trying to do something about it or we have an approach without having some of these deep conversations, which are taking place in some cases now. Um, and that, I think, is, is a really important component that HR has to own is that their role has to be more than a program. It has to be about changing how the conversation is taking place in the organization, right? Um, my, my probably one of the, the most compelling things I've seen this week, uh, you know, was put on by um, Jane Elliott. And for those who, who might not know Jane Elliott, she was the school teacher who did the um, anti-racism, um, she's an anti-racism activist who put on the blue eyes, brown eyes exercise um, right after Martin Luther King um, Jr. was assassinated. And she did a presentation some time ago that's been posted back and forth, I think, on the social time, where she basically asked everybody in the room to stand up if they wanted to be treated the same way as their black and brown counterparts were being treated. And I probably paraphrased that badly. But the room was silent and no one stood up, no one raised their hand. And that's the conversation I think that, that has to be taking place inside of HR organizations. And that's a really hard conversation, but it's the kind of conversations that we need to have, right? Right, right. No, it's, that, that, that's exactly right. And, and we need to get clearer that um, statistics are not answers. I think that's that's statistics are descriptions, right? And so you've got a problem, and the problem is um, non-proportional representation of women and minorities across the board in roles and in compensation. Um, but but the answer isn't to fix the statistics, yeah. right? That and that I think is when when. When you say we've got a program, that's what that means to me. That we've got a we've got something in place that's going to make the numbers look better. And and the problem isn't that the numbers look bad. That's that's not the problem. That's a reflection of the problem. The problem exactly. is yeah. that there's discrimination in the workplace, and and that's not statistics. That that. The statistics show that there's discrimination in the workplace, and fixing the statistics doesn't fix. You know, this is this is the, this is the thing. You get what you measure, and yeah. and that almost always points you in the wrong direction unless you are super careful about it. And, and it's very clear that we have made a lot of smoke and fire about fixing the statistics and have not really begun to address the basic problem. As I always tell people, you know, you bring someone into an organization because of a number or a statistic and you don't provide air cover, 
in many cases you're doing more harm than good because then you're putting them in a situation where they have a no-win environment, right? Um, this is for females, minorities, anybody who's um, being brought into an environment where you're trying to make a change and you expect the weight of that change to be on the person that you're bringing in, right, instead of the organization itself. And and I think that's a lot of the conversation that we're hearing come out of uh, the, the, the sort of online um, social commentary and the, the conversations, at least I've been trying to listen to, um, is that the weight of change has to be on all of us, right? Yeah, so there's a, there's a, there's a really, really tricky dynamic. And the tricky dynamic is, um, it, it's like this. When is the right time to end discrimination? And the answer to that is right now. Um, but the organizational processes of ending discrimination are almost inherently more incremental. And, and once you agree that while the right time is now, but we have to go slow to let the organization do its work. You, you've just given into the problem, right? Okay. And 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 that is such a tricky thing for for companies to figure out because when's the right time to solve pay equity? Right now, <laughs> not two hundred years from now. Right now, uh, and, not over time, and will yeah. it will it cause? Um, Upset? Yes, it will. But when's the right time to do it? Now, and and that reality um, never seems to percolate into the organizational structure, um, which is how you end up with this. It's it's fifty two years since nineteen sixty seven, fifty you one can understand the idea that that people think that nothing's changed because it's been incremental it's been incremental and slow and unnecessarily slow um, uh, we better talk about some news well I, <laughs> well I mean was one of the things I think that that's been in the news a lot um it's along this topic and that we'll definitely have. I think some links to um, as a follow-up is uh, there was a couple of, I think, really good um, pieces put out about, you know, sort of race and technology or just technology in and of itself and its ability to, to do um, the analysis that's needed to be done sort of um, with some of the biases that are already built into it. So there's, there's some, some great, um, uh, list of books that I think are worth, you know, reading. We'll probably post them um, from this one article uh, from VentureBeat, uh, Gender Shades, Voicing Erasure, um, AI's Now's Algorithmic Accountability Policy Toolkit, those kind of things, right? But you've looked at this issue for quite some time. Is artificial intelligence going to make the issue better or worse, do you think? Well, you know, the, while there has been an enormous amount of attention, attention paid to bias in artificial intelligence, and it is a, a, a significant hurdle 
the fundamental idea, that, you know, first of all, you've got, you got to start with this isn't actually intelligence. But the fundamental objective that I see people working towards from all different sorts of angles is complete personalization of the relationship between the organization and the individual. And when you get to complete personalization of that relationship, you can start to make the, the, the overall relationship pretty transactional, right? So you've got this job, you've got these skills, you want that job, you have this gap, here's the training that you need, is more like math than it is like a parenting conversation. Um, and we, we're headed in a direction that allows us to do that so that everybody's experience of their conversation with the organization is unique. Yeah. Right. And, and until now, we haven't had the computing capability, the mental capacity, the math modeling capability to imagine that everybody's relationship with their organization is unique. Um, and once you start there, um, then then solving for class disparities and racial disparities is is a much simpler thing. Yeah. You're here. You have these skills. You have this gap. Here's the training. Go. Um, and I think and the most. It, oh, go ahead. <laughs> Well, I would just say, because I think the most important, because I've been talking about this since I did my first survey back in in Burson days, 2007, 2008. Um, And I remember thinking at that point in time, we are getting to a point where HR doesn't need to build policies and decisions based off of categories. They can build policies and decisions based off of individuals, right? Because that's what the technology is allowing us to do, right? And... I think that deep personalization, what's so powerful about it is it doesn't wash away color. It doesn't wash away um, background. It doesn't wash away who we are. It actually elevates that and values the things about us that are so important about who we are, right? I mean, that's my take on it. Am I being too Pollyanna about that? No, I think think that's right. It's just been slow in coming. It's just been, been exactly slow in coming. You know, one of the other things that came out this week, um, which I thought was quite interesting, is that along with all of the, the technology changes, we are still seeing investments in the HR technology space. Um, you know, it, it's been a week where almost all news has been sort of um, quieted and for good reason to allow the voices that need to be heard heard. But we are seeing some investments, and I think it actually – has a an interplay with some of the stuff that we're talking about. The, the two big investments we saw this week are um, the UK-based um, company called Cutover, which raised $17 million in Series A for its work orchestration app. Just sort of a, a workflow, work management type of thing, right? Somewhere in the mixture there. And then Bonusly, which is a platform, which is basically a rewards and recognition platform, received $9 million, both Series A funding and financing. Um, And I was kind of struck by the fact that what we're seeing, I think, is is a lot of what we're talking about, that 
I now have to figure out ways to incentivize my workforce a little differently. I now have to figure out how to um, provide an environment where I orchestrate the work in a way that is maybe different than, than it was done previously. So I have to redo workflows, redo approaches. Um, both could be used in positive directions in some of the things we've talked about. Both could be used in negative directions, depending on how companies choose to use them, right? Yeah, I'll tell you what, there's, there's a really interesting thing that's happening uh, sort of under the covers right now. And, and that is almost every company that is owned by a private equity firm, instead of layoffs, they got pay cuts. So 20 and 30% pay cuts. Um, and, um, you know, the pay cuts better than losing your job. Um, although it creates kind of a mess, but every company now is transparent about its earnings and its revenue. All, all employees know how the company's doing, and and it turns out that companies didn't really have bad, particularly companies that served enterprise clients, didn't have bad quarters, um, and. Mm -hmm. And so now you've got the case of people having taken pay cuts while the company does better. So those pay cuts are going to have to be restored, and and they're going to have to be restored just before the uh, second wave of the pandemic hits. And that sets the pace for uh, pay that's salaried pay that's variable based on company performance. That's interesting. That's different, um, and that's coming um, as a result of this, I think. And and that's difficult, especially in light of an environment where where those judgments might get made more so by a manager than by a compensation band or a compensation analyst too, as well, right? That would it changes that dynamic quite considerably, right? Yeah, well, this is this is how the difference between being a labor shortage and a labor surplus is going to manifest itself. This is exactly how that works. And I think Bonusly, if I, if I understand Bonusly's business model, right, it's got the word bonus in it. So um, their rewards uh, mechanisms behave like the variable that we're talking about here. Right, and there's been a pretty significant move over the years to compensation that is part um, salary and part bonus. That's that's yeah. now a pretty normal thing. It's just going to get more variable because the salary part is going to become variable. Yeah, and I, and I think we're also going to start to see the the more variable um, component come out in. You know, one of the comments here about Bonusly is that people can give their points or their bonuses to organizations in need, right? So, so it's got this idea of um, sort of uh, giving to the community, social responsibility, that kind of stuff tied to it a little bit, but all tied to the employee, not so much the company, unless there's some, some matching allocated in that. Um, but that also, I think, is another aspect of um, this conversation about compensation and, and how do I want to leverage it? How do I want to use it if I feel it's important to also be, you know, supporting 
you know, those type of um, nonprofit organizations that are important to me, do I want to do that through my company? That seems to be a, a growing thing that we're seeing in the, in the market as well, right? Right, right. Um, I, you know, so much is going to get learned in the next year that, that, that we will be in an impossible-to-imagine space. It'll just be in an impossible-to-imagine space where a lot of the ground rules in the social contract have changed permanently. And and I think that's going to roll out not just in our companies and organizations. I mean, the other two, I thought, um, really interesting things that sort of came out on the, the message wires this week is how the other technologies, our social technologies, are starting to, um, I guess, react to what's happening right now. One is a the messaging app Signal. I don't use it, but I know a lot of people who do use it, launched a face blurring tool um, for their images that people could post um, with the idea of ensuring that people weren't um, being retaliated against or being part of things that are going on, right? Um, at the same time, we saw a big announcement that Google is facing a $5 billion lawsuit for tracking users in incognito mode. So as much as you thought you were kind of being incognito, it sounds like maybe you weren't. Um, those two things, I think, go hand-in-hand hand with the fact that data privacy is really a big part of this conversation, and we haven't even touched on that yet, right? Right, right. We should we should spend some time next week talking about privacy in the midst of protest. Yeah, that's a yeah an important topic. Well, no bundles of joy this week. <laughs> uh, but no, but interesting conversations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let's. Did I tell you the joke about my grandmother? <laughs> I have. I'll be sure I have it. So, so when when my grandma was getting old, uh, she would sit in her Barca lounger and yell at the TV. And and I thought, oh my God, this woman is going nuts. Um, Turns out she was a trendsetter because of what I do for a living now is sit in my office and yell at my TV. <laughs> John, thank you. We all needed a little bit of a smile at the end of the conversation. <laughs> and we've all been yelling at the TV and our yeah, exactly. and our exactly. routines, right? Yep. <laughs> so okay. yeah, poor Alexa these days. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Alexa. <laughs> She's so amused. Um, she is. Well, yeah. thanks for doing this, Stacey. It, it was another great yeah. conversation. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll be back here next week with another version of HR Tech Weekly. One step closer with Stacey Harris and John Subject. See you then. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Bye.